Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about Andor episode for Aldani. And we are actually recording this um, after the episode came out. We are finally, we're, we're back in real time recording, <laughs> which feels kind yes. of crazy because Charlotte and I were talking before we started recording about how even though we got lucky enough to see the first four episodes of Andor um, in July. In a weird way, it kind of hasn't felt like we were fully settled into the age of Andor. I don't know. It's kind of weird to explain. I think because we recorded so long ago, it feels so disjointed a little bit from it premiering and, and like the online discussion and excitement after the episodes come out, you know. So this week, we're really excited actually to be recording the week of that the episode comes out. Yeah. And I think that since we've had a lot of time to sort of ruminate on this episode, I've grown way more fond of it with its shift into a brand new storyline with new characters coming into play. I really think it is a great choice after that incredible arc that we saw last week with Andor. And I don't mean to jump into what we thought, but loved this episode. Caitlin, what did you think? Oh, I loved it. This episode felt like the whoa, like jumping into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. So much more so than episode one did, I think. Um, episode four was a part of the set of screeners that Charlotte and I got. So we we did see it back in July and August. But if you guys have listened to our other recaps, you know that our recording schedule got so <laughs> messed up. And uh, when when we decided to re-record our episodes one through three discussions, um, we didn't have access to the screener for episode four anymore at that time. And we were like, there is no way we'd only watched it once at that point. Um, just, because of how all the timing worked out. And we were like, there is no way we can record this episode about episode four. There's too much. Having There's only much. seen it once. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, we just, we're just going to wait until it comes out uh, so we can revisit because yeah, it really was like, oh my God. I don't know. I think it was just being back on Coruscant, seeing Mon Mothma, seeing the empire and then everything going on on, on Aldani. It was just, it was so overwhelming. I think because it was a place like Coruscant that we recognize because I was kind of immediately hit with just, Oh my God, like starry eyed when I saw Coruscant that I didn't really even fully pay attention to what was going on. I was just so excited to be there. I think a lot of people were like that. What's cool is that this Coruscant feels and looks different than the prequels. And it really has this cold feel that I think, um, I think it was National Geographic that released a video today that confirmed that they uh, took inspiration from like brutalist architecture when it comes to uh, diving into Coruscant. And I feel you can feel it. It's oppressive. Yeah. This is a place that the empire controls. And I think this episode really built up a clear understanding of what Mon Mothma is against. Like we didn't even see the Senate, yet we understand that she's being sur surveyed this entire time. And even to the point where that's that was the conversation that was had in the roundtable with the the lieutenant governors. I, I don't think it was lieutenant governors, but I just said that 
out of nowhere, but the like sort of quorum that was assembled within the empire with Dedra, it was all about surveillance and how the empire really controls that aspect of uh, keeping things tidy, keeping things under under their thumb. And you can feel it. You can feel it in this episode. You can feel it in Mon Mothma and it's all around her. It felt like the walls were caving in around her, even when we get introduced to her husband, who isn't even really on our side. I mean, oh boy, there's so much here. <laughs> I can't wait to get in. Yeah, I really loved how this episode was such a visual departure from our last uh, arc uh, on Ferrix. You know, it looks so visually different. It really kind of kicks off this next chapter. And I wonder if every arc is going to have kind of a different visual tone or if we'll start to see more of that kind of intermingling, uh, especially once, I assume, once Cassian goes back to Ferrix, of course, that will become a, a big a big set piece again that we'll be exploring. But I wonder if every arc is going to have kind of a different visual tone because I really liked that departure here. It was very arresting and I think a great uh, reintroduction into Coruscant and then, of course, to our new locations, too, that were so much fun to explore. So this episode is really divided into three parts, right? We have Clem slash Cassian on Aldani meeting his new team, getting the lowdown on their uh, operation that they're going to be pulling off there. Then we have Luthen and Mon Mothma on Coruscant and their hidden lives. I loved kind of this aspect of both of them. Uh, and then we have the Empire slash our favorite dumb bad boy Cyril and uh, everything happening, kind of the aftermath of what happened for Ferrix. Cyril's return home. We're introduced to Dedra, uh, who I think is going to be a major player going forward. We've seen we've seen her a lot in the teaser trailers and things like that. So I think she's going to be a main player going forward. Denise and Kyle did uh, a joint interview in our roundtable. So uh, I think they, they kind of discussed a little bit that they were going to be seen partners at least once and I imagine they were pretty revealing yeah they were pretty revealing yeah so, so. I think those two are going to be together moving into the future I'm excited to talk a little bit more about Cyril in this episode because we couldn't in our last episode because we didn't really want to super spoil what happens knowing what happened on Ferrix and that Cyril was sent back home to Coruscant we didn't really want to spoil that piece so we just kind of didn't talk about Cyril at all too much in our last episode. So I'm excited to talk a little bit more about him uh, in this episode, even though he doesn't do a whole lot except dejectedly go home. <laughs> but I'm excited to uh, to touch in with his character too. Yes. One thing I want to note before we get going is, well, two things. One, I really feel like we're moving into a large scale story now. I think that that arc that we experienced last week was an introduction into start of the action really with Cassian. And now we're seeing him being involved in a smaller heist and all the different machinations of the galaxy, right? Like we're really getting, we're really settling into this world of Andor. And I think the quality of the show is just so incredible. It like blows my mind to me that Lucasfilm kept the sheer amount of like quality that's in the show <laughs> under wraps for as long as they did. I had 
absolutely no context when we watch this episode that the show would be so well done. <laughs> I don't know. I I think that people have compared it to like an HBO miniseries and things like that. And I completely agree. This is just as good as anything that's taking the top slots of TV right now, like House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, like all these things. It's up there and it is the quality is just so good. And I'm not saying that the other shows aren't super high quality because they are, but this feels different and it's worth saying. And again, my main thing is I just had no idea that Lucasfilm had this under their belts. (laughs) They've been working on this for so long and here it is. And wow. And I felt that way in the last time we recorded too, but I really felt this way again when we moved into this episode, knowing that there's uh, how many? Seven more episodes of this at this high quality with this amazing writing, these amazing character portraits. I feel like we are so blessed. And then the second thing that I think we're so blessed on is the music. And I think Nicholas Brittell or Brittle produces a theme that is different for every single episode. And it really captures the tone of every single episode. And the music choices are just fantastic and really broad and really sprawling. And I... I, I don't know. I'm just, we are so lucky. <laughs> it, it, it is just so cool. And I just, before we dive into any of the specifics, I wanted to call it out because as more people settle into the show, I've heard from a lot of people um, outside, like in the, in the real world, not just the Star Wars fandom who are blown away by this show. And I think that in a lot of ways, I think Lucasfilm has kind of kept this under their belt as I don't, I don't know the way to say this, but I felt like they've been working on this for a really long time. They're really excited about it. This is a huge show for them and you can feel it. Also, the show was in production before COVID was even a thing. And it's surprising because you can kind of feel that. You can kind of feel like things were decided before COVID turned different production schedules on its head and made things like the volume necessary and essential to a small scale production. Because this feels completely opposite of that in so many ways. And that's not a negative. I love the volume and I love the other shows. It just feels different. And again, I just think we're really lucky that we get this differing differing parts of the Star Wars universe. Um, And I can't wait to see what the rest of our Star Wars television shows look like. Because there's so many different things that are possible. I, I just am shocked. (laughs) I think that's what's so great about Star Wars television now, seeing the capabilities of the volume. And then we have something that is uh, so expansive like Andor. And I think that's what is kind of what we're feeling is kind of setting it apart is that expansiveness. And I think the ability that they are rather the choices that they've made to go to all these different places, like, you know, Aldani is Scotland, right? And that's so clear that they are in the Scottish Highlands and stuff like that. But having the um, flexibility and the development of something like the volume allows for storytelling in such a new way that I think is so accessible Um, for a lot of storytellers. And I think that, you know, Lucasfilm taking 
the risk to fully develop a, a stage and a production process like they do with the volume because it has a very specific way that you have to go through the production of a show is so is so important. And I think we're going to see the influence of that further down the line um, in a couple of years too as they continue to develop it. But also having something that I guess you would say is like a little bit more um, old school as far as like not old school, but traditional in like the actual sets building and not even that an eight acre set like Ferrix is traditional because um, that is insane that they did that. But just something <laughs> so, really, yeah. yeah, large scale in like a practical set way in the way that the volume is kind of the complete opposite of that to see Lucasfilm, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to beat around the bush here saying as I'm collecting my thoughts is that to see Lucasfilm kind of do every type of way you can tell a story I think is really cool and is so um, like baked into the story of Lucasfilm as a company and as a storytelling company to try all these different ways to explore all these different possibilities to tell a story um, and to give these creative people, someone like John Favreau and Dave Filoni and now Tony Gilroy, all the tools to tell the type of story that they want to tell in a medium and like in a process that they want to explore, develop, perfect, whatever it is. And I think that's really cool that we can kind of see all these different examples and the fact that we can even talk about why, why does a, a show produced on the volume feel like this? What are the strengths of something like the volume? Okay, why does a show like Andor feel like this? What are the strengths of how they're doing it over here? I just think that's so cool. And I'm really glad that Lucasfilm is able to, to do that, honestly, to finance all the, the things that they have to finance in yeah. order to be able to, to explore these different um, means of production. Totally. You sort of outlined three main parts of the episode. Let's go... Let's start with the first one, which is Cassian Clem on Aldani. And the episode starts with we're in the middle of uh, Luthen and Cassian escaping Ferrix. And there's a lot of words that are thrown in each other. And we learn a lot <laughs> of different things. And I really liked this intro because it, first off, it really took me back to the place that we just left, which was escaping Ferrix and that insane ending of that last episode, oh my God, tears to my eyes every single time I even think about it. But also this understanding that this relationship between Luthen and Cassian isn't going to be this traditional mentor relationship. Like Cassian isn't going to be towing along with Luthen this entire time. Luthen has other plans. And it sort of made me, it kind of took me off guard that he is basically willing to like sell him off <laughs> for this one job. Um, but he also presents a lot of uh, compelling reasons why Cassian has to take his offer. He's like, what else are you going to do? You're going to be on the run. Like, okay. Um, and there's a couple of things in the conversation on that ship that are really interesting that really put Luthen in control in the entire dynamic, which is how the dynamic was before. And it, it will continue to be, I guess. And I wonder how that's going to shift as we go forward. But I mean, in the way that Luthen knows so much about Cassian and Cassian's past and things that he keeps covered up, um, that he sort of slides in all these digs about how he knows his past, right? Like the fact that he was a chef on Mimban and not working, uh, not like a soldier, like we saw Han Solo be in Solo. And we, I really liked that reference. I tweeted about this earlier, but I really liked that reference to uh, Cassian on Mimban 
and dealing with the fact that the that whatever was happening on that planet in the mud was not good and everyone knows it luthan knows it he knows it that there was there was no reason for the empire to be there there was infighting that happened and you could feel that in solo and i liked the reference here because it felt in line with the political directions and the things that we're pulling at in the show itself it's interesting. I wonder what the outcome is going to be of this particular heist that now Cassian is involved in after he gets sort of unloaded onto this group that doesn't want him at all. <laughs> it feels so bad for him. I wonder how he's going to be seen in the eyes of Luthen afterwards. Like, what's the next conversation going to be? Is he going to continue to do jobs for him? Is he going to be folded completely into... I don't even know what the Empire... Like, the rebellion looks like at this point. Does it have a base? Or is it just all these different sects going on right now. Like, I don't know. Firstly, I have to say, I think it's kind of funny that you said that uh, Cassian was a chef. I think that's such like a really nice way of saying that he was a cook on a mud planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. He was a chef. He was a chef. I mean, a cook is a great, great job too. I just think about them this as the same. Yeah. So it's funny. Yeah. That, no, that's I, funny. I, I think that's like taking my real world experience right. into Star Wars about like, oh, a cook is a chef and a chef is a cook. Yeah. And that's how it is. <laughs> you know, in a lot of places they are, but it didn't feel like that was Cassian's role. Yeah. That's <laughs> you not know? what the conversation was entailing right. at all. Yeah, I think it's this part with uh, this conversation between Luthen and Cassian was so enlightening, but also still kind of made me question so much of what Cassian's ultimate motivations here are. I think it's important to note that one, he didn't mention his sister at all in all of this when Luthen keeps kind of asking him or rather telling him what he believes Cassian wants to do or what he sees as Cassian's true motives about, you know, sticking it to the eye of the empire, taking what he wants, being a part of something bigger, all of that. Um, Cassian doesn't bring up anything about his sister. That's still something he's keeping uh, very close to his chest. Um, also, you know, not to mention that that's what got him in all of this trouble in the first place was kind of uh, talking about his sister and, you know, telling people in that brothel on uh, Marlana 1 about what he was doing. So I'm sure that's something he's also not really quick to share. Um, but I, it's going to come back, right? It's got to come back, that whole mission that he's on to find his sister. So I wonder when and where. And I wonder if Luthen actually does have information on his sister that he just hasn't shared yet. I wonder that too. Yeah. I think that that's going to come up. Like another card that he has to mm -hmm. get Cassian to do what he wants. I also think what, you know, Cassian, to me, this conversation that Cassian has with Luthen is very similar to, you know, Jen's whole line of it's not a problem if you don't look up. Um, when Cassian says, like, it's better to live, to eat, to sleep, to do what you want. Um, and he says, like, who did we turn out? Who did it end up? Who did it turn out we were fighting on Mimbam ourselves? Um, and it feels like very, I'm just going to live the life that I want to live because me as one person, I can't do anything against the empire, really. But then I think it's interesting what Luthen says after that of like, you were the cook and you survived because you ran, taking the selfish, cowardly choice um, and kind of throwing that in Cassian's face. Like Cassian, when he presented it at first, I was like, oh, I totally thought that he was like Han of, you know, in the war, um, on the ground fighting. And then Luthen is like, no, you were a cook and you ran um, and kind of takes it down a couple notches. You know what I mean? Like that's what it felt like in the conversation. Yeah. 
It also plays with our expectations as a Star Wars fan, because when we hear that, if we're deep in Star Wars, we know that reference to Solo, we mm-hmm. we think exactly that. And then we're brought down a peg in the same way that our protagonist is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then after that, Luthen says, I imagine you hate. I imagine that no matter what you tell me or tell yourself, you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards. So what I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all at once to something real? Cut off all these useless pieces until there's nothing left. Which I think Luthen has already had a lot of zingers and he just continues to. But I think I think this line brings us to a question that you were asking of what is the state of the rebellion. And I think that that is an important thing to talk about with this episode because we get some questions. We get we get some questions about the rebellion and kind of what it looks like. And number one, I think it's super important that Val tells Cassian to not mention Luthen to the others. The others have no idea who Luthen is. They have no idea who this informant is. But Luthen talks to Val with a real air of authority. And when he gets angry at her about her being upset about Cassian joining the team, how she doesn't think it's the right idea. And at first, he's just kind of trying to convince her. But then he gets really angry at her. And I forget what he says exactly. But it's like, you know, you're going to do this. I was going to promote you. You want to be a leader. This is what it takes. You know, and he, he like starts yelling at her about it. Um, and it really does have that air of authority. And even when he's talking to Mon Mothma later on, which we'll get to that piece, but he does have that, you know, if you're not going to give me what I want, then we need to end this relationship. Like, I'm not I'm not here for a personal relationship with you. I'm here for your funding, for your uh, connections, whatever it is. You know, so it really, and, and it seems when Mon Mothma was talking about bringing someone into the fold, he was the one who had the authority to be like, no, we're not doing that. So I I wonder if the thing that he's working in, he himself calls the rebellion. And even the people working with Val, they have no idea who Luthen is, but the, I don't know all of their names, but the really, the really like cute, nice guy who's really nice to Cassian, um, he says that he believes that Cassian is essentially there for the right reasons to fight against the evil of the empire. And that's all he needs to trust Cassian in the end. And that Cassian will be a good team member for them. So it's clear that those people are there with this ulterior motive of doing the right thing for the galaxy against the empire, but they don't even know who Luthen is. You know what I mean? So it's like, who do they think they're fighting for? But then, and sorry, I'm kind of like rambling here, but then they also know who Saw Gerrera is. Like they talk about Saw Gerrera and these other kind of sects of rebellious activity, I guess, that's going on. So I just think it's interesting to think about um, how the rebellion is forming, how they're referring to each other, what everyone does and doesn't know. Everyone seems very isolated and on it seems like every single person is on a need-to-know basis, I guess is how I could have summed all of that rambling up in one sentence. Everyone is on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> and it seems like right now Luthen holds all of the knowledge about what's going on. Well, it makes me think that it is a real tight line of communication of, yes, a need-to-know basis. But it also makes me think of the fulcrum agent that we found out what that is in in Rebels and Star Wars Rebels and how um, all of that is sort of all undercover. Like everything is undercover, I guess. But yeah, I would totally agree with you. I also think that 
that the really nice guy again I, I'm with you I don't really know his name but he's such a nice guy he's like a little cutie little sweetie with his uh little diagram that he's like that piece is a little is a little That's fragile the there it's practical model it's like the I know. got wet <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is so good. I love this so much. Um, and he he was like, yeah, he's there for the right reasons. Meanwhile, like we know that he's actually being paid to be there by Luthen. And I think we know Cassian because we've seen Rogue One and we know that he is an altruistic person, but it, take, it took a while for him to get there, I guess. And he has a hard exterior and we love him for it. And we know his background and everything. But I think that guy's wrong. Like, I don't think that there's a real sense of when you're within the rebellion, there's no, like Cassian is not to the level of a rebellious spirit spirit that Mon Mothma and Luthen are yet. And we're working towards that. I think that we're going to see his complete devotion for the group that is the rebellion, but we're not there yet. I think he has, I, I, he hates the empire. He has ideas about uh, what, like he hates the empire End of story period, but it's still um, not to the point of like organizing about it. That's not really a thing that is fully happening quite yet. I am so intrigued by this group of people who are going to do this heist. And when Caitlin and I watched this, we were like, this is going to be so cool. I can't wait for this to play out. It's going to be the best ever. And I cannot wait to see the essentially like the fireworks show. But I really fear that I I personally think that only like two people are going to survive from this and it'll be an interesting this is my speculation because it's a heist i immediately think of the last heist that we saw cassian do which is in rogue one and i think it'll make us think there'll be cues that will make us think of rogue one when it comes to uh sort of a suicide mission um no. and yeah yeah no <laughs> I, I think I I think some people survive. Okay, I I think that some people survive, but I do think that we're going to have some casualties, and it's going to be really sad because the show is serious. And yeah, but I think that they're going to pull it off, though. I I do believe they're going to pull it off. Do you trust everyone in the group? Good question. <laughs> um, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> I think like ultimately like I probably would if I were in Cassian's position, but there's so many characters and there's one who even works with the Empire and everyone is just so mean to Clem that it it makes me sad. <laughs> so no, I don't fully trust them, but I do – I think if I were – again, if I were in Cassian's position, I would, but as an audience member, no. My loyalty is to Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, right, they, they've they been working this operation for months now. And yeah, yeah. suddenly Cassian shows up. And I, I forget who says it, but they're like, um, you know, you now have my life in your hands. So, uh, and I don't know who you are, you know, whereas they built this whole uh, rela uh, relationships with all these people. I think it's six. And now Clem makes seven. So I, I understand, I totally understand why they're anti-Clem, <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know why it just kind of occurred to me, like, what if one of them betrays the group, you know? I kind of don't think that'll happen because I think that Cassian 
what happens for Cassian after this operation is important. He has to feel like I kind of think that Cassian has to fully buy into what is going on here and see the importance of it for him to take the next step into wanting to be a part of the rebellion. I think that could come from seeing how valuable the information is that they get and also um, losing people who he did this suicide mission with and seeing how hard they worked for something like the rebellion, even while being so in the dark about, you know, who they were even working for with someone like Luthen that they could give their lives up for something uh, like this uh, while knowing so little uh, of the big picture. I think that yeah, I kind of think that whatever happens in the next two episodes, when we get to the eye of Aldani, which I'm so excited to see, I'm like, guys, I don't, so pumped. I'm so ready to see a new episode of Andor. <laughs> <laughs> we've been li- again, we've been living with this for like how long, Caitlin? Like two months, and I. <laughs> so this, we're finally caught up, and I we're know. so excited. <laughs> I know, and I, I know that we're like so lucky to get the screeners, and like it was incredible, and everything, and. I don't want to like also imagine waiting two months. I know. And I like, I don't want to sound like ungrateful. I I don't know. And I'm not. It's not. But I'm super excited to see a new episode. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because we've been thinking about this Eye of Aldani for so long. Like, Uh, I'm that's what I'm really excited for. But I don't think that'll be next week. I kind of think it'll be the next, the following week. So a little longer. But, um, All that to say is I think these next two episodes in this arc have to cement Cassian's next steps into the rebellion. And he has to feel, I guess, a little bit more of that emotional pull to be a part of the rebellion. And so I think that's going to happen with these people. So I would be super surprised if one of them ended up betraying them. So I kind of don't think that's going to happen. I mean, speaking of an emotional pull, I mean, Cassian is from a planet that was colonized and taken over and had a mm. essentially an environmental disaster happen to it that killed more than half of the people on the planet and abandoned him and orphaned him, right? So I wonder if there will be a connection made. And I think that Andor is the show that these sort of connections will happen. These sort of complicated emotions will be felt where we already have a situation where the Empire has dammed a sacred river and there's already a like a ritual in place that was completely, almost completely wiped out by the Empire and like sort of bulldozed over, right, with this new huge dam. And again, in that architecture, no, not Arch- National Geographic video compared the dam look to Darth Vader's mask, which I found really interesting. And again, it's just completely bulldozed over this beautiful environment. I don't know. It just makes me think of that one shot of little Casa looking over into that gorge of all I can describe it as is like nuclear wasteland. And I wonder if that will be felt and if we'll get a call back to his childhood, if we'll get any sort of um, emotional connection there uh, because it feels similar. It feels like there could be yeah. something similar there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point to bring up actually, especially thinking about Cassian and his um, involvement in the empire uh, in the rebellion moving forward is because they they talk about in their little um, debriefing with the with the model of the dam and everything about how the locals still come but it's a much uh, a more somber affair now and I think that connection is absolutely supposed to be made Charlotte that like 
that's what happened to Cassian's planet, more or less. More, actually. Um, it was completely devastated by the Empire, by the Rebellion. Still a little unclear <laughs> on that. But uh, by the government system that eventually became the Empire. And I think that will also play a factor into it, especially when he sees the local people, the Aldanians, the people of Aldani, come to see the Eye of Aldani. I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if we get another flashback to Canari. And also, I want to note, too, that Luthen says, tells Val all the languages that Cassian can speak. And Nari is one of them, which I assume is the language of Canari. So, just a little aside. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be... That would work. Yeah, yeah. That tracks with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Luthen and Von Mothma, unless you had anything else to say about the Aldani planet. No, let's move on. Let's go back to Coruscant. Yes. Oh, my God. Back to Coruscant. Again, (laughs) the brutalist architecture, the feel. I cannot believe we're back in Coruscant. It's been so long. (laughs) It's taken so long. And I... It just feels really good. And getting to see these small character moments with Luthen, finding out that Luthen is a shop owner of antiquities, I think is a really layered decision because we first meet Luthen and he's sort of seen in pretty good light, right? Like we see him as a, a leader, someone who takes Cassian under his wing, even though everything I just said is like, it's way more complicated than like the regular master apprentice relationship. We still get the essence of a master-apprentice sort of relationship. We're introduced to Luthen in my brain because of my own Star Wars like knowledge. I'm like, oh, this this guy like probably lives in like Yavin Four. Like I can picture him there, right? <laughs> but instead, it's totally flipped on its head where we see Luthen. This is his alter ego. This is not who he presents himself publicly as. Publicly, he is a shop owner of antiquities, which is problematic to say the least. And then he puts on this wig and I love that small character moment of him donning the smile, trying to get worked up as he assumes that personality. It's such a good character moment. And there's so many moments like this, these small character moments that really give us a glimpse into who this person is. But it really shows me that it's taking a lot out of Luthen to do this dual life. And I can only imagine that it is, right? But I I think that when we are introduced to Luthen, the shop owner, the uh, antiquities dealer, it's a side of Luthen that I was really intrigued by and like interested in exploring. Like as, again, as Star Wars fans, we've all been kind of pouring over all the Easter eggs that are among the shop, right? Like it is so cool that we get to see the Mortis God wall, I guess, broken down in the shop. But then you start to think about it and you're like, why is it in the shop? (laughs) But it is sort of part of the persona of a, you know, wealthy shop owner who is catering to the super rich like Mon Mothma and other senators and other people of the elite status uh, would have these antiquities like a Mandalorian armor these like old Darth Vader ish looking battlefront thing like I'm I'm also learning a lot from these people's easter egg videos that are coming out (laughs) these days but I remember the first time we watched it Kayla and I were like oh my god this is so crazy (laughs) um and I didn't see the Mortis God thing right away and I think that also we sort of debated is it is it really the one from Rebels is it not because that one sort of sunk into the ground at the very end and we sort of decided that it's not the one from Rebels. This is a different, different yeah. ode to the Mortis gods. And that's super cool too. Like it doesn't matter. That's amazing. 
And I just think that this glimpse into understanding that Luthen has a real public persona that people know that people like Mon Mothma um, would regularly visit. And like, that's not weird, right? Like that's a whole thing, right? That Mon Mothma would have a plan to go to a shop and make an appointment. And I like the assistant Claire, by the way, I think she's cool. And I'm excited to see more of her. <laughs> uh, and I, I like that there's a little bit of tension even between Luthen and Mon Mothma about what she's able to carry out because we have seen, we've now been introduced to Luthen for three episodes where we see his, his personality as someone who's really just trying to get the thing done. And I think that when he is talking to Mon Mothma, he is trying to get that thing done too and is frustrated when things are being roadblocked. Right. And overall, I just I just thought this scene was really intriguing and there's a lot, a lot at play. And again, like I mentioned earlier in the episode about the surveillance of it all, you really felt like there were eyes everywhere, even within this small space that I guess is deemed a sort of safe space for Mon and and Luthen. I, w- I always want to call her Moni. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I do wonder, like, I think at some point in my Star Wars life, I thought that Mon was like a title, like, yeah, same, like grandma, Sir, prince, princess. Yeah. Like something like yeah. that. Or like Duke, you know, Duchess, something like that. But I like, didn't realize Mothma was like a surname either. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it took me a while. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> Mon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the uh, the transformation of Luthen into the antiquities dealer, I think, was so perfect. And I love that Coruscant became like exploring kind of the hidden lives of Luthen and uh, Mon Mothma. Um, or rather that for Luthen, it's his persona. It's his, like you said, his public uh, his cover, I would say, um, is this antiquities dealer, which I think, you know, is so perfect. You know, we're talking about all of the real world politics and layers and applications that this show has. And I think to make Luthen an antiquities dealer is like so on the nose <laughs> because antiquities, they're a way to hide money. And that's what he's using it for is Mon Mothma is buying these antiquities but really what she's doing is feeding him money uh, for the rebellion, for whatever is going on. And that's what Luthen says. You know, I have so many mouths to feed. And if you're not going to be helping finance it anymore, then that's where our relationship ends, essentially. And people use the black market of antiquities today to move money secretly or not so secretly because it doesn't have to go through the same kind of, I guess, like sanctions that like a bank account or real estate would have to go to go through. It's so easy to store money uh, with with antiques, with cultural artifacts. And when we're talking about that bigger picture, too, the fact that all of these planets and uh, the local culture heritage are being decimated by the empire then we have people like Thrawn that collect these antiquities. And I'm sure there are a bunch of other people too, unlike Thrawn, who then put those antiquities from these decimated planets and cultures onto the black market. And then you have people like Luthen in, you know, shiny Coruscant, uh, the big city of the core worlds, then selling them to people that are not from those cultures at all. Right. It's like, (laughs) it's so perfect that that's what they would have 
Luthen B is an antiquities dealer as a way to move money into the rebellion fund. It makes total sense. And I love it a lot. And I love uh, Clara. Clara. Uh, I think she's. I think it's just Claire, but I think it's spelled like. KL I don't know yeah, it's not spelled like normal Claire when I saw it in the subtitles I think it was K-L-E-Y-A oh god it's like Claire oh, Clara. Clara I think he calls her Clara it's something <laughs> the British accent always throws me oh off especially gosh. with a name like Claire <laughs> I don't know we'll never know actually we will know we'll find out but we'll find- <laughs> right now we do not know <laughs> we will come back to you listener next week with yes. her name <laughs> No, we've been like this for two months. I know. We, still we keep calling. We were calling her Clara. Anyway, I love her. I hope she becomes a bigger player. Uh, she obviously knows what Luthen is doing um, because she is the one who ushers the driver away. Like, no, you can totally come and look at these really cool coins. <laughs> and um, she totally knows what's going on. I think we've seen her in some other previews. Uh, so I think she's going to come back around too. You brought up a good point when though when you were talking about the antiquities uh shop charlotte about other senators and stuff so i won and like catering to the rich on coruscant but i wonder yeah. who else is coming to this shop um because i'm sure you know on one hand it's got to operate as a regular antiquities shop but then it's also mm-hmm. being used as a front so how many other people is luthan in contact with who are making it a front. Mon Mothma, the way that she talks to Luthen in the back room, it feels like she's the only one in the Senate who is on her team. Like, it's just her. Uh, she doesn't really reference anyone else. Like, thinking of- like, we also know that's not true. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, with the seeds of Bailer rebellion. Yeah. So yeah. what is he doing? Is he involved in this? Is he there day to day on Coruscant? We will be seeing the Senate soon at some point, maybe as soon as next week. So I think that will be really, um, I'm really excited to see what Mon Mothma is talking about with other senators when inevitably Bail Organa shows up. I refuse to believe that Jimmy Smith is not in this show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't the only reason why I say that I don't know is because this was filmed in England. I don't I just don't know like the lockdown of it all. I, I'm just not sure. I but think, it, it could probably still be done. <laughs> I think the power of technology will get yeah. him in this show <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> and some form or fashion. I just, I can't imagine a show with Mon Mothma and the Senate and the Rebellion and Jimmy Smith's not be there. I know. I completely agree. It upsets me. I'll be honest. It upsets me. Who do you think that she wants to bring into the fold? I think, I think it could be Bale. I think it could be Saw Gerrera too. I don't I know. I want it to be Saw so badly. The thing is like, we know that other people are aware of him. So it kind of feels like Luthen and Saw operate separately so it feels like at that juncture Luthen must have an opinion about saw or else why aren't they working together right now when we were talking earlier i was also kind of starting to think about the possibility of if Luthen and mon mothma break ties like what if by the end of this series Luthen, yeah. i don't know has become some other type of extremist like saw or or he completely i think dis- it could be the opposite that mon mothma does yeah, because if we go down the route of Saw Gerrera being the one that Mon Mothma brings into the fold, and then if we sort of put this side by side by what we know about Mon Mothma's relationships to, to Saw and Rebels, mm-hmm. which is 
tumultuous. Yeah. That like things could have ended really poorly for when she does that. And therefore that severs ties with Luthen, who is kind of by the books and kind of has it all figured out, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think that she's on edge. Mon Mothma is on edge. That's what we learned in this episode, that she is uncomfortable, right? She has surveillance on her all the time. She's a new driver, new faces all the time. She mentions that. Her husband is a piece of crap. Like, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. He is Perrin. just the worst. And I can't believe freaking Perrin, he, she's married to someone that completely disagrees with her and just like wants to undermine her and invite freaking Sly Moore to dinner. Are you kidding? He just wants he is to have the fun. worst. He just wants to have fun. Yeah, he just wants to have fun. He doesn't and even I, disagree line, with her. He just doesn't have an opinion. It's the whole like it's not a problem if you don't look up type thing, mm-hmm. but it's from a place of privilege, which is different from Jen. And it is a brilliant writing choice to do this, but oh boy, did this get underneath my skin. Perrin is just the worst. And anyway, the point is, is that she is uncomfortable. I think that it could possibly be a good idea to get things moving with someone who wants to get things moving as fast as Socorrera does. And again, he had a name drop in this episode. It just feels right to me. But yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's going to be Mon who brings her brings him into the fold or or how that all shakes out, but when that was mentioned, I I want it to be Saw so bad. Again, I could totally see it being Bail Organa, but when you mentioned if Luthen and Mon like part ways at all, it feels like that could be a reason. I think um I think it will be Mon Mothma who wants to bring Saw Guerrera, and even if that's not who she's referencing here with Luthen, I think that will ultimately be her choice because I think that Ultimately, Mon Mothma leads the rebellion, and I think that she probably knows that she has to make a big move at some point, a big public move, or else, like, I'm sure she feels at some point she comes to, like, a stalemate with what's going on. Like, at some point, they have to go public, essentially, with it, and I feel like Sagarera might be a part of that at some point um, because she can't, I think she's going to realize probably that she can't keep hiding anymore. It's going to come out because of everything that's kind of being set up in this episode. And maybe Luthen feels that, you know, we have to keep things hidden. And my Mothma is like, at some point you can't keep things hidden anymore. Um, I can't, one, I can't finance a hidden rebellion anymore <laughs> and other people can't either. And, uh, it, it will have to come to full out war at some point. So And I think she probably has that perspective being in the Senate, having all eyes watching her, also knowing what's going on in the Senate, too. I don't know. So I kind of think that it will be Sagarera who she wants to bring into the fold. Talking about Perrin, though, Mon Mothma's apartment. Um, my first text to you was, I could really thrive in a place like that. <laughs> it just yes. seems so beautiful. The opulence. <laughs> so nice. But, right, I, the flip side of that, too, is that uh, Mon Mothma, it doesn't feel like she can even really be herself in that in that space. One, I think it's great that that apartment is like a white apartment. That is the color we associate with Mon Mothma. Of course, the color white has a lot of symbolism of purity, innocence, um, all of those kind of uh, attributes. I think we attribute to the color white, but there's also a sterileness to it and uh, a perfection to the color white that is easily 
like can be marred like with dirt you would immediately know if something was out of place in her apartment even watching her put her necklace down in front of the tree I was like does that go there don't you have like a really fancy jewelry box <laughs> that you could put that in so I think the design of her apartment is fabulous even like with all of the bonsai trees and stuff I think that's great symbolism for Mon Mothma of like being primped and pruned and kind of kept inside this you know planter this box um to look and be and act a certain way as a senator in the rebellion uh, or as a senator in the in the empire in the republic and she's not gonna be able to do that anymore she's gonna have to break out of the planter <laughs> um and become the face and the leader of the rebellion and hopefully lord willing leave perrin <laughs> Please. 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 <laughs> I saw some meme today by Seth on Twitter who had the quote like, my husband's made a critical error and the time for a divorce has come. <laughs> this is perfect. Anyway. Yeah, I really I despise parents so much and I actually want to see more of their dynamic now that I've seen it, even though I despise him so much because I thought it was a really interesting addition. And now we know that Mon Mothma has a literal terrible husband. So her life is rough, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Do we want to start talking about the Empire and Cyril? Yes, let's do it. Cyril, our dumb, dumb boy. <laughs> um, I'm so glad. I feel like everyone had the same opinion of Cyril that we had of Cyril. So <laughs> I was so nervous because I was I was so intrigued. Just like to be completely vulnerable. Like I understand he's a like a cop he's a crappy cop character like yeah. I don't want to be pro know, cop I don't, character exactly and I'm not like I'm not <laughs> it's just he's I don't know he is uh a mess and I just find his demise and messiness absolutely fascinating he's a polished really, mess yeah and like this the character attributes that he has is just great and I still am kind of haunted by that look at the very end of episode three. We talked about it in our last episode, but it's pretty hard for me to read. And personally, I, if I could pick a trajectory of where I think his story is going, I think his insolence will have him, well, he it did, run home to his mom with his tail between his legs. That's exactly what's happening. And then I think he's going to turn around and want to dig his heels in even more with uh, the fact that he's been scorned by that one piece of business that he tried to execute on Ferrix that really made him have egg on his face and ruin his career and things like that. And I just wonder how that's going to shake out. Personally, I think it just based off of like interviews and the conversations that we we've had with Denise and Kyle like it feels like they're going to team up somehow work together and because Dedra is so dead set and focused on finding that like one box that I was so sure was just like a simple macguffin <laughs> and was not going to make any and I still think it is a MacGuffin, by the way. I don't even know I, what until it's until I'm proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a box, you know. And I, <laughs> I, it's just like a, I don't know. Um, and I, I'm, I'm surprised that it came up in this episode. Is basically my point. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think that she, since she's intrigued by that, since she um, has been kind of scorned at work too, like she's not treated the best, even though I think that she's like extremely dedicated. 
I think that she has every reason to try to climb the ranks and prove her superiors wrong about her or just like continue to okay let me back up when it comes to Dedra I think what that one scene illustrated when she answered that answer that was asked by the um, the main guy, he asked a question about like, what is the purpose of us? And she answered a by the book answer, right? Like something literally verbatim memorized from a handbook. And he was like, great job. Good job. That was verbatim from the handbook, but that's actually not true. That's not who we are. And that's actually just a, say- a saying. So what that illustrated to me is that she's someone who does things by the book. And since she was embarrassed in that meeting, I feel like she's going to continue to not continue. She's going to start to do things not by the book and to try to have a side project, a side hustle and try to undermine her her uh, fellow employees um, by finding out more information about that box on Ferrix and the way that that involves Cyril is because Cyril has a revenge plot <laughs> against the people <laughs> of Ferrix and how that's all going to happen. I don't know. I think that it will probably end poorly for them, but probably some victories along the way. And I guess those actors kind of hinted at some sort of like weird romance, which I think is going to be, if they go down that route, I think it's going to be messy and really entertaining. Yeah, to watch, I was gonna say maybe basically. like a. A little bit ridiculous, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the tone will be, I don't know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> of that. And I'm really intrigued to see. Everything that I just said is why I'm intrigued by Cyril's character. Because he is, we are given someone who is uh, put in a position of power to inflict a lot of serious damage. And he did and is just seems like he's just very, very dumb <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> but also, we were given a character that was illustrated when he came back home to Coruscant. Like, this scene in this episode is so fascinating that he goes back to his mom. His mom slaps him and then hugs him and cries. What is going on there? It was, oh, it was one that was loaded with, a, I need a lot more information. <laughs> I'm so ready to see what their apartment looks like. I think he's from a like a lower class situation in Coruscant. The lower you go, the uh, yeah, the lower class it is. Like it's a caste system. And I think that, that it's sort of heartbreaking in a way that if Cyril then sort of worked his way up to working for the corporation and was really proud to do that and then also and like was making money and like serving his empire or corporation or whatever you want to call it this is still a terminology i'm getting used to he modified his uniform which is just the funniest detail ever but it is a real attention to detail right in his character that means that he's really excited and proud to be there but where does that come from and i think that when we get this glimpse into what his life is like with his mom Again, I think it'll be sort of like hilariously sad, but also sad in a way, a little bittersweet. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm 100% here for the Cyril redemption. Um, I am. I'm not going to lie. You can just say redemption. I, you don't have to I say redemption. I, I did say redemption. That was like a slip. <laughs> I'm totally here for Cyril to go the other way. I kind of don't think he will now. But I'm very much for it, you know. Again, if we get the callous hair change of it all, if we get that with Cyril, 
a, a beard, right? If if he uh, the actor Kyle has an amazing bushy beard <laughs> so maybe he still has it from the end of his shooting with Cyril you know I don't know but I would I would be here for it uh for him to see the light but yeah I I think that um Cyril's return home is important I think that I think there are a couple things going on here so first to go with Dedra, I think um, a couple of interesting things that I noted from kind of her whole arc that we've seen so far. At the end, after she has this kind of one-on-one with the other lieutenant, who I got to say, he's my new favorite bad guy, um, Blevin, the guy who actually went to Ferrix to fire all of them, that guy. I I love him. I love him. I think he's so cool. I love how he delivers his lines when uh, Dedra first is asking basically being like, I need the files. I have jurisdiction because of the the important box. And he's like, you might want to study the ladder before you climb it. <laughs> Love that. And I thought it was so cool. Um, he's a good actor. I think that that's a key here. Actually, I think everyone's a really good actor in this show. It's a really well-written script and you can feel it. But he he really delivered in his scenes. So I felt like. I'm so excited to see what happens with him particularly. But uh, one, I think we got to remember that he's the one kind of having this corporate spat with Dedra. He's also the one that fired uh, Cyril and everyone else on Ferrix. So there's kind of that connective tissue between all of those characters that I think Dedra and Cyril could uh, uh, empathize with each other on, be a reason to connect with each other. You know, Dedra wants information on what's going on on Ferrix. Cyril was just there. He's the guy that caused all of this mayhem. So he's going to be someone that she can use. And I, I kind of loved how Blevins on Ferrix, he was telling, you know, those three guys that you're going to take your belongings and you're going to leave. And when they hand you the report about why you're getting fired, you're not going to read it because that's exactly what happened with Cyril at the beginning of his story with his supervisor, where his supervisor was like, write down whatever you want, make it, make them heroes, but not like awesome heroes, just like low level heroes and be done with it. And he didn't. And now the very thing that his supervisor warned against happened. And this was the accident that the empire needed to come in and take full control over the corporation. And I think that's what that guy Blevins says to Cyril and uh, his supervisor and the guy with the sideburns of the the time of corporate independence is over or something like that. So I think that's very telling. I think with Dedra, so after after there's that um, at the very end of the episode, right? It's Dedra Blevins and the supervisor guy in that meeting, that conference room, conference room one. Um, they are having that discussion about the the important box. Blevins leaves, and the supervisor tells her that she's supposed to be tucked away and quiet, and that's why the Empire was bringing in more officers like her, and that she she had come from enforcement, so she's like a recent transplant into uh, their department, um, which I thought was really interesting to note, like why the Empire wanted someone like tucked away and quiet, like all these officers to kind of not do anything, but be doing things. You know what I mean? But Dedra is the one who, like the reason she wants to go to Ferrix is because she's picking up on this pattern of what will be rebellion activity. And her supervisor is like, why do you want to cause all of this office friction 
uh, for something that is just speculation on your part on your part right now. But what's hilarious is that she's actually right. Like what she says, she's like, I, I feel like I'm seeing a pattern of coordinated rebellious activity across different sectors. Right. And that's why yeah. I want to go investigate Ferrex. And that's not exactly what happened on Ferrex. It's not rebellion activity. Not yet. But it's rebellion adjacent because Luthen was there. And I'm sure it will. And also Bix's involvement, too. It is rebellion adjacent. That's true. But I don't like, know if Bix, like thinking about Luthen and the need to know, like, I don't know if Bix knows yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right. You're yeah. right. It's just, it It was adjacent. Yeah. Like, there was ties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Dedra is right. Yeah. And and this this is ultimately, like, part of the Empire's downfall is that, you know, it's people like her supervisor that are like, let's not cause office tension. <laughs> um, just, like, right. go back and be tucked away and quiet. And she's not going to do that. And I think that's where her and Cyril are going to connect. Yeah. It's also a little bit of a comment, you know, not a little bit. It is a comment on like girl boss culture of within a workplace. Like we're, we're getting a little bit of a genre mix in about like workplace drama here. And because we the talk Empire about how- as workplace drama, I love yeah. it. I would love to see more of it. Let's be honest. Like SNL has mined that a little bit. Yeah. And it's entertaining. It's interesting. And it works here. And I'm excited to see more of it. I Assuming we get more of it with Dedra. But with her situation, like you say, she is right. But of course, you don't want her to be right because we're on the side that we are on, which is the rebellion. And we don't want them to be you know, got by the <laughs> by the empire. But at the same time, like she is being undermined. And again, it's that sort of like girl boss, but like at what cost? Because you're working for like a fascist organization and like that's not cool. And so I think that uh, if I were to think about their endings like I was before with Cyril and uh, Dedra, I wonder – like I, I think that ultimately their ending will probably be a demise of some sort. But I do think that there's a lot to say. And again, like I mentioned before about how there's a sense of complication in this show that – is not afraid to dig into political themes, like socioeconomic themes. I do feel like the show is the place to explore those complicated feelings about like, what does an office workplace culture in the empire look like? And what are the injustices that take place in there? And are they, if is critiquing them and wanting things on an individual level fair to want for our characters? Mm -hmm. Or are like, it's, it's just, of course, like there's a lot there. And I, again, I think this show is the place to explore it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'll also say that a fun part of this whole kind of sequence with the Empire and Ferrix is them cleaning off the desk with all the takeout boxes of the blue yeah. noodles. <laughs> the blue noodles, which I, I didn't realize had like such a standing within Star Wars history. Like the blue noodles have been around for a really long time. Like I think in our episode we were like, that was in Galaxy's Edge and on the Star so Cruiser. But, but no, no, it goes way further back than that. The blue noodles have been around for like 30 years. Whatever. It's fine. Um yeah, I hope that that little the little Scooby-Doo gang that was eating the the blue noodle takeout, I hope they're doing okay. I hope Yeah, I, I mean now right. that they're fully under the uh the empire's control which we'll we'll see i guess <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm really excited to see what dedra and cyril get up to next i think it's going to be i think it's going to be really interesting they are going to fall even deeper into i think this 
what the empire would probably treat as like a crack theory about the rebellion and yeah they're really going to go all in on it i think and it's going to be right but of course we know how the empire operates and once it's proven right once they've gotten all the information they need out of cyril and zedra then they're going to do away with them because now they've used them and they don't need them anymore. So they'll take the information because at that point, I'm sure we'll be like at the climax of the story and something major will have happened. And it'll be very much like Krennic at the end of Rogue One um, and everyone everyone else who worked from the Empire on Scarif of blow it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we move on from this Empire piece is I really think that the the lines that the main Admiral guy says about I'll just quote it. Security is an illusion. If you want security, call the Navy. We are healthcare providers. We treat sickness. We identify symptoms. We locate germs. The longer we wait to identify, the longer it will take to treat the disease. And I think that if this theme of basically this, like when we're on Coruscant, this theme of like surveillance and authoritarianism and fascism, I don't think you can get any clearer than this like incredible metaphor of locating germs and identifying symptoms and wiping them out and moving them. And uh, that's exactly what the empire is doing. And I think that while we've had several shows and pieces of Star Wars media in recent years, especially that have sort of talked about the awful parts of the empire, we haven't really seen it like this. We haven't seen it from the real inside visually in live action. And I am intrigued by it because I think there is a lot of uh, ways for things that are so obviously terrible to come to the screen and for us to critique them as like a society. And I feel like as Star Wars, as a mass media, um, an American mass media, I I. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of room there for, like I mentioned, like political and socioeconomic uh, conversations that the show is not afraid to sh- shy uh, to address head on. Yeah, no, not at all. I think every episode has uh, had something to say about our real world in it, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And you had had a note in here about the Empire slash Star Wars using this disease metaphor before, and they totally have. I also can't think of where the reference is, but they absolutely have. But it, yeah. it, this line did remind me of what the sideburns guy said to Cyril back on Ferrix or back on Marlana 1, I should say, about um, their the things festering on mm-hmm. Ferrix, which I loved kind of that phrasing. Festering or fermenting? Fermenting. That was it. Yeah. They just those kind of words I think have that visual can have a bit of a visual like ick, like even festering or fermenting. It's great and I love it. And I think that I think that this kind of metaphor goes along alongside that too. All right. Is there anything else that we need to talk about with this episode, episode four of Andor? Oh, man, I'm sure there is, but I feel like we've gone through a lot of it. I'm so excited for next week. I'm so excited to see the eye of Aldani. I think that's probably what I've been looking forward to the most is seeing that because I think they I think they really hyped it up in this episode of, you know, one of the other people on Aldani talking about it's not something you'll see. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super excited to see what it looks like. And I hope we 
get to really see what it looks like. Um, I think we will. Yeah. So I'm I'm so excited to see that. Uh, And I'm excited to see how Dedra and Cyril meet also now that we've kind of talked about that. Like, how does that do they meet at like a coffee shop? Oh, my God. Is this a coffee shop at you? Oh my um, God. An um, imperial coffee shop at you. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I mean, we're all about seeing the real places in Andor. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to not speculate on that. <laughs> I have two more things to say that are random. But first thing is that now Cassian and Jin both have Kyber necklaces, mm. and that inclusion felt important. In the last episode, I talked about all the times that I'm mentally clocking all the ways that Jin and Cassian are mirrors of each other. And here we go again with this one. I'm very worried that Cassian is going to lose this because it's on loan from Luthen. No. And now we know he's in – I don't know. He put it in his pocket. It's not around his his neck anymore. It's in his pocket. It feels precarious. Anyway, um, I don't know if he's going to lose it either. Not sure. But – that did make me a little nervous. I'm just <laughs> not gonna lie. I thought he was kind um, of hiding it from Cinta, but yeah, no, he was. He was. That was the the purpose of it. But now it's in his pocket. That's it's true. not around his neck. That's yeah. I yeah. So again, always clocking all these ways that Cassian and and Jin are similar, and I wonder what Cassian if Cassian comes face to face with Saw at all. I don't know. A lot of people in my real life are like, isn't Jin going to be in this show? Are they going to have like a mini movie type vignette of her within the show? It feels like weird that they wouldn't because they're talking about the show being like similar toned to Rogue One. And in some ways I agree, in some ways I don't. So it's just something to watch, I guess, right? <laughs> to see if if Jin's going to show up. But the show doesn't really feel like one of those things that they're going to have I don't know, a cameo type experience, but I also wouldn't be that surprised that she was in this because this is very much like everyone who said that is right. This very much is a companion piece to Rogue One. So it makes sense. But yeah, anyway, mirrors that are Cassian and Jen. Okay. So then the second thing I wanted to say is I'm intrigued to see if the show actually does follow the format of different arcs in three episodes. Um, I think it will, but I'm just curious if it does. And I feel like our our uh, previews haven't really gone past episode six. So there's a lot we haven't seen in terms of clips and I'm intrigued by that. I think also just sort of realistically, I had expected this specific episode based off of what Tony Gilroy had said in Vanity Fair to be almost entirely Mon Mothma. I really thought that this episode was going to be fully Mon Mothma with no Cassian. And I was kind of surprised that it it was Cassian, Mon Mothma, and Cyril, and like, again, so many characters. But in the same breath that he said, everyone's going to be so excited by episode four of Mon Mothma, which is true. He did say that there's a Dickensian cast and there's so many characters. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of um, makes sense, right? There is so many characters and there's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, I think seeing this episode really kind of um, solidified what Tony said there. I think he's mentioned before about like all the number of speaking parts and everything that he has going on in this show. And I think everyone feels fully realized to me. Like, yeah, I don't know. And you mentioned this earlier, but everyone are just 
all superb actors. And it's really coming across. I kind of do think we'll continue to see these three episode arcs. I think that Tony, it feels like that's what he was saying in that article. And the fact that he even gave us a laid out timeline for season two. I don't know. It feels it feels like he would like that structure of the three yeah, episodes. I, agree. Uh, yeah. I think there could be. I think I think it might be more um, the lines might be more blurred between the arcs especially as we get towards the end of the season but i think yeah. they'll i think they'll feel kind of distinctive this yeah. epi- this season covers one year and then next season covers the other four years it makes me a little nervous because i think that with i'm sure a lot of our listeners are also watching house of the dragon right now game of thrones and they are moving so fast through timelines <laughs> like so fast every episode is like a t- last episode was like a 10 year jump episode before was 3 years it's just a lot and it's fine and they're executing it really well the show is really good but it makes me nervous because I think that there could be some discourse about how we're moving too fast next year. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. We'll see. I kind of feel like next year, and this is, you know, of course, very early, early speculation, but I feel like I feel like Tony will is treating season could treat season two differently than season one in the sense that right like it's over a year that we're kind of setting up a lot of things it almost feels like the rebellion will be established like mon mothma as the leader of the rebellion could be established by the end of this season and so then next season are like these vignettes these snapshots of important Mm -hmm. moments in the rebellion's life in cassian's life before he meets jen rather than a, a a more structured story like we're seeing yeah. in season one. Uh, but who yeah, knows? and also a struggle to find out what matters, right? Yeah. Because that's also what's at play here. And maybe some of his own, maybe some of Cassian's own disillusionment or uh, questions or doubts that mm-hmm. uh, then kind of he fully realizes, I think, with Jin in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. that's very far in the future. Right. <laughs> I think we said also we sorry we also said next year but I think it's actually two years which is quite sad but yeah just saying yeah yeah next season whenever that may come yeah next season next season all right well that is going to conclude this episode on episode four of Andor Aldani excellent excellent episode I'm so excited to be here in the age of Andor. I can't wait for next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, don't forget, we have the lost episodes of original Andor speculation up on our Patreon <laughs> if you're interested in listening to those. Uh, those are available. Some very interesting speculation in those that was quickly proven wrong. So if you're interested in that, head on over to our Patreon. Um, but if you want to talk to us about and or anything else Star Wars, you can find us online on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have Charlotte's handle, which is at Clarity. Uh, if you want, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, our emails, All of those places are good places to find us. And if you've left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thank you so, so much. We really do appreciate it. It helps other people find our show. 
And if you have a couple seconds to go and leave us a review on either of those platforms or your podcast platform of choice, we would be so very grateful. So thank you so much in advance. And if you are interested in other ways to support us, as I mentioned earlier, you can head on over to our Patreon, check out our different reward tiers there, find out how to listen to our lost and or episodes, and also how to get involved in our wonderful Discord Skytalkers community. And also so many bonus episodes that we have. Yes. Like a lot of them (laughs) on on Patreon. We recently did one on the Obi-Wan Kenobi behind the scenes documentary. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we talked about that on the public feed at all, but yeah, we did that. And yeah, anyway, I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Sarah, Tegan, Alex, Brad, Ian, John, Sophie, Chris, Paul, Lakshana, Matt, Captain Britain, Jackson, Amber, Nicole, Raphael, Kimberly, Courtney, BJ, and Kate. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.